Good morning. Welcome to, to the coldest chapel service that I've been a part of in a long time. <laughs> well, congratulations on everybody making it here. Um, you look like you're, you don't look like you're too worse for the wear. Uh, uh, President Graves wants to uh, begin the, ev or the evening. See, my head is still cold. Um, wants to begin the service with an announcement. Well, aren't you thankful for a warm chapel? I sent out a Facebook message last night that it was minus 45 wind chill factor at my house last night and how blessed I was to be in a warm home. And, and you know, we take a lot of things for granted, don't we? And uh, so we're just thankful you're here and you made it and we're back at it today. And, and uh, as you know, we're in transition um, with Dr. Light moving now to the Dean of Online Education. Uh, it's left uh, some openings that uh, we have been busy working on. And uh, one of those openings that I'd like to share with you this morning is the chaplain's position. And I'm pleased to announce to you that uh, we have appointed uh, Reverend Cindy Lamb as our interim chaplain. Cindy, would you come forward, please? Let me tell you a little bit about Cindy. Uh, many of you know Cindy, uh, but Cindy has been on the staff at Springs First Church since 2005. And uh, when we were thinking about this, and uh, of course we've watched Cindy over these five years that I've been here and, and have just really observed her heart for the Lord and her great compassion for people. And uh, so uh, when I first spoke to her pastor about this, he, he felt like this would be a good thing uh, for, for the college and, and for Springs First. And so she's going to be here and there. Uh, this is going to be a part-time assignment for her, about 10 hours a week here. She's already met with Chaplain Like or now Dean Like, and, uh, and has worked with him and and already is, is busy uh, uh, filling in the spring schedule, the, the, the uh, positions that we had open for spring. But would you just welcome Cindy? And Cindy, if you'd like to say a word or two, we, we're, we welcome you. Thank you. Um, I just want you to know that I am truly honored to uh, be a part of the NBC team. Um, I've been a part of so much of what you've done over the years, and uh, I really respect this place. I consider it holy ground, and uh, I arrived actually uh, in July of 2000 um, to Colorado Springs, and I remember the very next day I came to Nazarene Bible College out at uh, the Apostles Court. I got on my knees, and I knelt there and prayed and said, God, you brought me from Indiana to Colorado Springs. I don't know what you have planned for my life, but I say, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. So I just want you to know I'm honored to be a part of working with you, and I thank you for how you guys allow God to use you to be a light on this hill. So I look forward to working with you. God bless you. You know, I, I, we're, we're such a, uh, a, a connected community here that I sometimes forget that that maybe not everybody knows Cindy and what she does at First Church, but she is the pastor of congregational care 
at, at Springs First Church with emphasis, let me make sure I get this right, on prayer, compassion ministries, um, uh, evangelism. Let's see, what else is there? Well, there was a list of, huh? Pastoral care. And uh, so I think that kind of fits in with what our chaplain's responsibilities would be here. And so, Cindy, we welcome you aboard. We'll be introducing her to the students tonight, and she's ready to go and, and work with us. So welcome, and I'll turn it over to Dean Like now. <laughs> uh, last fall, uh, Tom Yakely was a part of a, a leadership advisory board that Dave Church worked with regarding the Center for Ethical Leadership. And so they meant, I think you probably, guys probably spent a day and a half or something over in, over in Williamson trying to give some vision and direction and facilitation to the Center for Ethical Leadership. Uh, Tom works as leader in leader development for navigators here in Colorado Springs. And Dave Church said that we needed to hear from him. And so we've been working actually to get Tom here since last fall. Um, and just so the schedule finally, and I woke up this morning thinking, oh, really? We're going to have to put this off again? Um, but so I'm glad, that, uh, I'm glad that we were able to make this happen. And the Birchfield brothers were supposed to be here this morning. You can see that they're ready to play. They have a vehicle that has a diesel engine. <laughs> there. So anybody who knows anything about engines and understands what they're dealing with. So as of yesterday, they hadn't gotten it started. Uh, I'm hoping that sometime uh, between then and now they have. Uh, I will make sure they get here tonight for chapel. Um, Dr. Powers uh, called me yesterday and he said, you know, I can preach anytime, but I really want to hear these guys. So, um, so they'll be here in chapel tonight at 7.30. I, I know it's cold, but it, they're worth the trip. I, pr I promise. They're worth the trip back to campus. So, um, so I've told Tom that he has the rest of the morning, um, and I, th I think, you know, he was in Tampa this past weekend <clears throat> and, came, and came back Monday just in time. So I, I've been looking forward to this for a long time. Uh, I've, I've only met Tom briefly but haven't been able to sit under his teaching, so I'm looking forward to what he has to say to us. So the rest of the time is yours, Tom. Oh, and would you welcome him, please? Thank you, Alan. It is a delight to be back on uh, your campus. This is my second visit from that first strategic planning exercise I did with David and the Center for Ethical Leadership. That was my first introduction to your campus physically, although I've known, we've been in the spring since 95, so I've known of your ministry here for many years. It's a delight to interact with you. The good news this morning is we're not in Chicago. I got an uh, email from my daughter who lives in the western suburbs near Aurora uh, this morning with a picture out of her backyard uh, and it's 18 inches of snow with 50 mile an hour winds and five to six foot drifts. Thank goodness Colorado. And then I had another email from my brother who lives in Tampa this morning saying there's reasons to live in Florida. <laughs> so we've had the gamut this morning. I'm glad to see that the Nazarenes are a hearty bunch this morning. I was wondering as I was driving down here, will anyone else besides me be here this morning? So thank you so much for uh, showing up. This morning the topic is developing through intimacy with God, living and leading from an overflow. This is not 
to be a devotional message and or a sermon. This is more pragmatic. Although if you have your Bibles or your New Testaments, turn with me to Luke 2.52. This will be our text for the, this morning. A very familiar passage if you don't have uh, a Bible with you. You know this, the context here. Jesus is 12 years old in the temple. He's been left behind after his parents took off. They search for him for three days, and after three days they find him. And we'll pick the story up in verse uh, 49. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother, his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. That last passage, 252, that last verse that I read, is a great developmental passage. Now I'll leave it to you theologians to help me understand how Jesus grew. Being God and man, you can help me understand that. But I take it for what it says that he did grow in wisdom intellectually. He grew physically in stature. He grew in favor with God spiritually. And he grew in favor with man socially. So it's a great model for a four-phase development model, if you will, of intellectual, physical, spiritual, and social development for an individual. And so my job today, the privilege that I have today, is to travel around the world coaching and developing leaders. And this morning, we're going to focus on one of these four aspects, and that is spiritual development. And I'd like to suggest for your consideration this morning, just means that I, pragmatic, practical means that I have used over the years that have helped me maintain a learning posture through my life. And not just an intellectual growth. Again, this is spiritual growth we're talking about here. And so as we talk about means of saturating our lives with the Word of God and growing, it's not with an intellectual mindset that we're talking about here. We're talking about pursuing the author of the book. We're talking about growing in intimacy with Christ. We're talking about a vital, dynamic, growing love relationship with Jesus, that out of which we will live and lead and overflow into the lives of others. I'm sure you've been at this process long enough to have a track record of names, of perhaps friends even, who at the pinnacle of their leadership end up bankrupt. Because they've given away their lives, and that's what the ministry is, isn't it? Giving away our lives and ending up with nothing left to give, an empty tank. Why? Because they plateaued. They stopped growing. They stopped pursuing Christ. They stopped that growing love relationship. And there's many good reasons for it. We are so busy as leaders. We are beeping at our own taillights, if you will, as we roar, roar around in our busyness. And there's nothing inherently wrong with busy. Busy is necessarily a part of being a leader. But if it's busy to the exclusion of our relationship with Christ, to the point where we end up spiritually bankrupt, we've missed it. And so this morning, I'd like to suggest for you some real practical things. You've got a handout, I hope. And for those of you that are J's on the Myers-Briggs, I'm a J, who like closure, I'm going to disappoint you this morning. We're not going to cover everything in here. 
Okay, so just to set you up on that, don't, we're not going to be able to check off every little thing uh, one through nine here. I'm going to probably cover two, we'll see how far we get, maybe three of these nine. But this is pretty self-explanatory, you can uh, figure out where to go with this from here. I, just to highlight uh, the first two in particular are my main points this morning, so just to put it in a context for you. And again, don't try to put on Saul's armor. These are practical things that I do. And perhaps this morning, you'll come up with one idea. Maybe there's one good idea that you'd say, you know, that might be helpful for me. If we come up with one good idea, we've had a good morning. Don't try to imitate everything that I do. This just works for me. But maybe there's one thing here that might stimulate you and help you in your pursuit of Christ as you continue to maintain that lifelong learning posture that we're talking about. Can I pray for us before we begin? Father, again, thank you for uh, the safety we had last night and this morning in arriving here. And pray, Lord, again, that you help us to be all here. Would you help us to focus and concentrate? Might we hear your voice and separate your voice from the voice of men? Would you help us to be, have hearts that are soft and tender to you, quick to obey? Help us, Lord, to find application for our lives and our leadership. And Lord Jesus, we do pray again that you might increase, that we might decrease. We pray that you would guide us to truth as you promised through your spirit who lives within us. We love you. We thank you. In Christ's name, amen. Living and leading from an overflow. Again, I've got nine suggestions here, very practical suggestions for pursuing intimacy with Christ. Let me suggest the first one here, and that is concentrate on a core set of books. Several years ago, I had uh, as one of my personal goals in life to master the English Bible. I've never had the privilege of being in seminary, and so original languages and Hebrew and Greek were not a part of my studies, although I've done some personal studies on those. But I'm not a trained scholar in those languages. I read books written by scholars that are, but that's not part of my natural design. But the English Bible, thank goodness for Wycliffe and a few of our friends, I do have access to and I wanted to master the book. And I had the rest of my life and so that was the goal. About 15 or so years ago, I met uh, Dr. Bobby Clinton, Robert J. Clinton, retired professor emeritus from Fuller now. And he's a leadership prof, and we were at a, a leadership conference together. We had some personal time together, and I happened to mention this goal. We were talking about how we were working at getting into the scriptures and bringing our leadership models from the scriptures. And Bobby said, uh, I told him that I was trying to master the Bible the rest of my life. He said, you've got the wrong goal. I said, well, what's wrong with that goal? He said, it's too big. You see, really, Tom... This book is really not one book, it's a library of 66 books. And you'll find it's too big for you to be able to master in a lifetime. And besides, God is giving you life messages that flow out of portions of the scriptures. And what you want to do is maximize those messages, maximize your strengths, rather than cover area, and this is the mantra for development, if you will, it's focus for impact. Go deep and then out of that depth, influence others. And so he 
shared with me his concept, and this has revolutionized my own pursuit of the Lord, and as I pursue the Lord through the scriptures, he suggested what he calls the concept of the core set. The core set is the portions of scriptures that you go back to over and over and over again, from which your life messages flow. You minister out of those, you influence others out of those, and you'll find that your core set is where your Bible, the worn pages are already in your Bible. It's the pieces where you have to tape the pages back in. When you lay your Bible on edge that naturally falls to those sections, it's the one that have the thumbprints all over the edges. And if you have to peel the pages apart or they're pretty white, it's probably not a part of your core set. And he would suggest that every Christian should have a minimum four books in their core set. And then beyond that, the amount of your influence, the breadth of your influence, determines how many more should be in your core set. More influence, more that you have to draw from. And so you need more in your core set. And so he would suggest that the four that everyone should have would be one of the Gospels, the book of Romans, the revelation, revelation of the Gospel, the book of Ephesians, the revelation of the body, and then one other that's a part of who you are, the way God has made you, and the messages he's giving you. Now again, it could be a book of the Bible, I've illustrated with books, but it also could be a topic. Perhaps it's disciple making, perhaps it's leadership, perhaps it's pastoral care. Perhaps it's a portion, a passage, maybe it's the Sermon on the Mount, 1 Corinthians 13, Romans 6, 7, and 8, the last 30 chapters of Isaiah. The life of Joseph, it could be a character. Joseph, Mary, Miriam, Deborah. Maybe it's a topic like developing leaders. How Jesus, you're just the expert on how Jesus developed the 12 as leaders. Or Paul and his relationship with Timothy. Or crisis management, looking at the leadership of Moses. Or destiny processing, the life of Joseph. And so it can be a book of the Bible, it can be a, a passage, it can be a topic, it can be a character, but it's places you go to for your own comforting, encur comfort, encouragement, and strengthening. And out of that then, if you give a chance, you've given a chance to influence and minister to others, that's a, your default. You just go there. And you can preach for five minutes or 50 minutes without a whole lot of prep because it's just you. And you're bringing it out of this reservoir. Well, I've given you, on the next page, my core set, such as it is today. Now, you'll see that I wrote in there, the last time I revised this was December 2004. And what I'm finding is, in this core set, that I'm reducing my core set, because I'm getting more and more focused in my ministry as I go. Right now, I eat, drink, sleep, leadership, and developing leaders. I never grow tired of that. And I minister to others. I coach leaders internationally. I come alongside of others and help them understand what the Bible teaches about living and leading like Jesus and how to make it work both in the body and also in the marketplace. What a privilege. And it all flows out of this. Now you'll see I've given you just, again, in my case it's books of the Bible. And I've given you the reason why I've chosen these books under the topic or focus. 
and you'll see repeated either lives of leaders and or the subject of leadership. There's a few other things, but primarily that's it. And because I'm operating in my strengths the way God has designed me, I find great motivation and joy and satisfaction, never growing tired of this because I'm in my niche. And that's the way you'll find that you're in your niche when you're finding great motivation, satisfaction, and joy as you influence others out of your design. Corset. That's a big one. That's a big idea. And for me, having focused on my corset, for the last 15 years, it really helps me. And so what I do is, when I'm doing personal Bible study, it's out of my core set. If I'm memorizing the word, it's out of my core set. If I'm ministering to others, given the option, it's out of my core set. If I am writing, it's out of my core set. Everything comes out of my core set. It just depth over and over and over. I'm, my devotions are in my core set. Well, now you may say, well, Tom, there's a lot more to the Bible than just your core set, and that's correct. And so I do maintain a familiarity with the rest of the text. I want to be able to meet Malachi in heaven and at least have a familiarity with this book, although he's not in my core set. I don't want that eternal embarrassment, you know, your book. And so... I maintain a familiarity there, but my concentration, again, focus for impact, is in my core set. Now again, you determine what's in your core set, and it will be a dynamic list. But if I would, could encourage you just to begin to focus on a, this concept of core set, and you've got decades, Lord willing, for your development in your core set, you'll find as you go, you will be a blessing you'll be able to encourage others and, it, and, and influencing others out of this depth of your core set will really set you free. I mean, it's just so much fun and so fulfilling. Comprende, see? Core set, that's a big idea. The second big idea is read and reread your Bible. We're back to the front page now. Read and reread your Bible. In the early 80s, Dana and I, my wife Dana and I, moved to Indonesia to, after language school, do student ministry for the Navigators. In the first six months, still in language school, I met a man by the name of Bud Brown with another mission agency. And to describe Bud Brown to you, he literally oozed the Bible out of his pores. I have never met a man like this all, in all of my life. When you talk to Bud, he could string Genesis to Revelation and everything in between all together and have it make perfect sense. Not in a holier-than-thou kind of preachy, condescending way, just it was so a part of him that he couldn't help but overflow in his natural conversation with you. I was so fascinated by this man that I had to figure out what the secret was. And so I took him to lunch to ask him pointedly, what is it? How did you get this way? I am envious of this. I need to know, you know, there must be a secret. What's the secret? He said this to me, Tom, 25 years ago, I was a new missionary in Indonesia just like you. And we were in an outer island situation, very remote. I couldn't even get shortwave radio. The people that I was working with, they were hunters and gatherers, and they were out in the jungle all day long. And my ministry really didn't start until they came back around the campfire at night. 
So I had all day with nothing to do. And so I got in the habit of just kind of reading my Bible every day, large portions of it. And for the last 25 years, I've read the Bible through once a month. I said, what? I said, yeah, I've read, I get up about 4.35 in the morning. It takes me two and a half hours a day. And in two and a half hours a day, I can read through the whole Bible in a month. And I've done that for the last 25 years. Just read. I have a couple apples for breakfast, and I read my Bible. What? Who in their right mind does this kind of stuff? No wonder the guy oozed the Bible out of his pores. He's kind of a nut. Well, that was a discouraging lunch. I thought, there's no way. I'm not a morning person. I arise early, but I gain consciousness about nine after several cups of coffee. So my devotions are often in the spirit, truly in the spirit. But I had enough sense that day to ask him this question. How do you know how much to read? He said, well, I'm a pretty simple guy. I just take my Bible, looked at the total number of pages, divided by 30, and that's what I read. And then after doing it for several times, I kind of adjusted a little bit to break it out under the end of books and stuff. And well, I went away just thinking, no way. Can't do it. And then I thought, you know, I bet you I could do the New Testament. That's shorter. So I looked at my New Testament, counted pages, divided by 30, and started to read and did it in a month. Read the entire New Testament in a month. I had such satisfaction from that and a sense of accomplishment that I did it again a second month and a third month and so forth. And for eight years I did that. And it got to the point, just through repetition of reading the scriptures, large portions over and over again, someone would say, uh, parable of the sower, I would think. Mark 4, top right-hand side of the page. <laughs> I could see it. Now, could I suggest for you just one little reminder? If, if you change versions of the Bible, it messes with your mind. <laughs> Be careful. But that has become a major source of blessing for me, reading and rereading my Bible regularly. And you'll see that in my Bible I use what's called a single column format. And I do that for a reason, just because it's easy to read. Now it's difficult to find verses because they're buried in the middle of paragraphs, you know. But single column for me, I chose that years ago simply because of the reading that I do. It's easy for me to do that. After uh, several years of reading the New Testament through once a month, I was anxious to see what I could do in the Old Testament. And so I found an outline of the Old Testament history books listed in chronological order. And I put them into a reading plan. And you can read through the New Testament in a month in 30 minutes a day. You can read through the Old Testament history in chronological order in 45 minutes a day. And so what I began to do was I'd do three months of New Testament and then a, a month in the Old Testament history, just to keep it straight. Who, who was the father of who and who came before who and just to maintain that familiarity again. And then back to the New Testament for saturation. Now after eight, year, after eight years of doing that, I found that it kind of became legalistic for me in law and so I decided to put that away. And for the last 10 years plus or more, I've been doing about every third or fourth month I'll read through the New Testament and or Old Testament history. 
and then back to whatever I'm doing for my devotions. And those are my devotions in the morning, half an hour a day. Now I've given you my reading plan. It looks something like this. So that's the reading plan to get you through the New Testament 30 minutes a day in a month, 31 days. And Old Testament history in chronological order, 45 minutes a day in a month. And I've put it in this format so people have taken this, they fold it, trim it, and some will laminate it, make a bookmark out of it. And I tell you, this works for me because I travel a lot. This really works for me. Just, it's easy. And if I miss a day, I don't try to do two days in a row. I'm, you know, God is not impressed. And so I'm just trying to saturate my life with the scriptures. And again, meet the author of the book as I do that. It's growing in intimacy with him, not trying to check off how many times I've read the New Testament. There's no test in heaven. Okay, all of you that have read the New Testament at least 100 times over here, you get a bigger mansion. It's, he's unimpressed. He wrote the book. And so, it's for my benefit as I get to know him through just reading and rereading. And we can all read. I spent a lot of time on college campuses. Last weekend I was down in Tampa ministering to a statewide navigator student ministry gathering. And we were talking about this concept of just read and reread your Bible. And I've challenged many of my friends, just try it once. And so they often will take up some kind of a campus-wide challenge, put it online, here's the reading plan, go for it, and we'll meet and discuss what God spoke to us, you know, from today's reading in various small groups. It got to the point a couple years ago, University of Wisconsin did this, they put it online and students from Europe found it, you know, the internet, found it online and took up the challenge, many of them non-Christians, and two of them came to Christ just through reading the New Testament and interacting with these Christians at the University of Wisconsin. Read and reread the Bible. Very simple. And again, out of that will come depth and, in, and intimacy with Christ. And out of that, then, you'll be able to minister to others out of that reservoir that God has built in your life. Corset, read and reread your Bible. Those are my two big ideas. We've got some time here, so I'm going to give you a couple more. I'm going to pick and choose here. Memorize scripture. If it's a navigator staff standing in front of you, we have to talk about scripture memory. Now for many of you, it's something that perhaps you did in Sunday school. Perhaps that was back then, but this is now. And I would suggest for you, for my own means of intake, I think the number one means for me of intake of the scriptures into my life, the most profitable means over the decades, has been scripture memory. It allows me to think the thoughts of Christ. It gives the Holy Spirit fuel or ammunition, if you will, from which to rebuke me if necessary, give me wisdom as I'm ministering to others, and guide me as I'm making decisions. It gives me power to say no to temptation because the Word of God is stored in my heart. Now, can I give you, I can almost hear the audible groans. Oh, scripture memory. Oh, I'm old now. I, my mind isn't as sharp. I understand that completely. I'm at the phase of life where I walk into rooms and think, why did I come here? 
and I literally have to back up to where I started and then it becomes clear. Oh yeah, that's why I entered that room. So I understand that our minds do change as we age. But the mind is like a muscle. The more we exercise it, the more tone it has. And I find this is one of the greatest challenges for me in keeping my muscle, my mind muscle, if you will, sharp. Scripture memory. So again, could I just be very pragmatic for you and give you some practical things that have helped me maintain this discipline of Scripture memory? And again, there is no test in heaven on how many of you can quote X number of verses from memory. That's the good news. But on this side of heaven, I find it really helps me as I want to lead and influence others out of an overflow. And as I want to walk with God and maintain that vital, growing love relationship, my scripture memory is one of the things that the Lord really uses to speak to me as I pray and meditate on the scriptures through the verses that I've memorized. Here's a couple practical things that will help you get over a hump on scripture memory, if you will. The first thing is, have a hot list. If you haven't started memorizing scripture, or you've been at it and maybe it was years ago, you put it away, start a hot list. That is, a list of verses as you read, study, interact with the scripture, oh man, that's a good one. I want it, and so I, it's on my hot list. So when it comes time to choose which verses this week I'm going to work on my memory, scripture memory, it, I go to my hot list. And my hot list, amazingly enough, is flowing out of my core set. Why? Because that's where I'm spending a lot of my time. Do you see how it all is focus for impact? Have we said that enough? Focus for impact. And so I'm developing my hot list as I go. And when it comes time to write out my little cards, my scripture memory cards, it's coming off my hot list. Now sometimes, to be honest, I'll go back to my hot list and think, why did I put that verse on there? This, mm. So it was kind of a momentary thing. But you'll find verses all the time that are striking you. You'll hear them in messages. You'll, you'll see them referenced in books. Someone else will share them with you in a personal conversation. And you want to put that in your hot list. Rather than starting with some kind of a program that someone else has selected verses for you that may or may not be helpful, Pick a hot list. Start with a hot list. That'll get you. And then, as you go, you can start with things like the topical memory system, 60 verses that the navigators have put out for years, or other memorize the word or other great systems. But start with your own personal hot list. That'll keep you motivated. Secondly, I would suggest that you work on your review. There is nothing more discouraging than giving your life to memorizing a verse, and then a month later, it's as if you've never worked at it. And so could I give you a suggestion on how to keep it sharp through back review? Your back review secret is, I, I, I memorize on little cards. Now again, there's no secret to the size of the card. A lot of people use three by five cards and especially if you're getting older it's nice to have bigger font. So three by five cards, smaller cards, I use smaller cards and when I have memorized the verse, it goes into what I call my back review box. And I've got a box that I just store my cards in. And I divide that box into 30 sections. You're getting a pattern here, aren't you? And so in my devotions, I'm working on the new verses for this week. And then uh, whatever section, whatever day of the month it is, today is February 2nd, 
So this morning, I was in the second section of my back review. And if I do that regularly in a month, I'll get through all my back review in a month. And I find that I can keep them sharp, just seeing them once a month. Here's another secret. Set a maximum number of verses that you're going to keep in your back review. And once you reach that, reach that maximum, every time you put a new verse in the box, throw one away. Now, when you first start that, it's kind of like sawing off an arm when you throw away a verse card. But you'll find many of those verses are verses that were good then, but now just kind of, oh man, what is that? Why did I, you know, it just doesn't connect with your heart. And so it's kind of freeing to toss those verses out that you can't really quote well anyway anymore and don't mean much heart level stuff and add new ones in. Now, how many do you keep in your back review? Well, that's between you and Jesus. I have never counted. It's kind of like David counting his mighty men. I'm a little nervous about that. And so I just, when my box got full, that was it. And now, every time I add, I toss. Memorize out of your core set. Back review. See him once a month. Hot list. And you'll be blessed. It'll encourage your heart. Core set. Read and reread your Bible. Memorize the word. One last reminder, since we've got a page in this, and we'll quit with this real quickly. Read and reread good books. And again, I've got a page in there on my reading list, my suggested reading list on leadership books. You'll see there's a mixture of secular leadership as well as Christian leadership books in that list. I get off because I'm talking with leaders and working with um, often emerging leaders. They want to know, what, and there's so many books of the writing of leadership books, there is no end. And so where do we even begin developing a leadership library? This is my suggestion. This is not my own thoughts. I've gathered input from numerous well-read leaders and leader developers, and I combined everyone's list. Anything that made multiple lists went into this kind of summary. And so read and reread good books. Again, you're looking, assuming it's a Christian author, you're looking for what does he say about Christ and leading and living out of an overflow? It's not about methodology, but it's all about him. If you're working with younger leaders, and I know many of you do, just a reminder, the felt need for younger leaders is skill development. Why? Because it's all about deadlines. They're given an assignment. I've never led a conference before. How do I become a good conference director? And they scramble and they look. They become skilled at leading a prayer group, a Bible study, a conference, whatever it might be. How to put a strategic plan together. All about skill development for younger leaders. That's their felt need. But what is going to sustain them for decades is character. Leaders fail at the pinnacle of their leadership almost always due to character deficiencies, not skill deficiencies. Why? Because in mid-career, you're staffing to your weaknesses. You've got people on the team that are stronger than you are, but at the pinnacle of your leadership, usually mid-40s or so, it's character flaws that have been there all along but were ignored that now can no longer be ignored because the breadth of your influence ripples to too many people, and you become the problem. And so we go back and we're helping these emerging leaders saturate their life and, and apply the book 
and what the author of the book says, apply it to their life in Christ-likeness. That will sustain them for decades of influence. So even though their felt need is skill development, don't give in to that. Now, they has, you have to help them in skills. But it has to be combined with intentional Christ-like character growth for sustainable influence for decades, Lord willing. Well, now I've gone from sharing to preaching, so I'm going to stop. Let me pray for us, and I'll turn it back to Alan. Father, again, uh, these things that we've talked about this morning, they're so easy in this nice room to sit and talk about. And yet, uh, when we leave here and go back to our various responsibilities, open our inbox, listen to our voicemails, deal with whatever crisis of the day has shown up at our doorstep, we find ourselves overwhelmed. We find ourselves uh, pursuing anything but depth and intimacy with you. We confess that as sin. We acknowledge that uh, you are Lord of Lords and King of Kings, Alpha and Omega, beginning and end. You are the Lord of our lives. And so, Lord, would you create within us a hunger that drives us beyond the busyness of our leadership and lives? Would you creating us a hunger that would drive us to say no to whatever is screaming for our attention in order to pay attention to you? Would you help us to be lifelong learners, pursuing a growing, dynamic love relationship with you? Would you help us to overcome our flesh that screams for laziness and a lack of discipline? wanting to pursue anything other than you. Would you protect us from the evil one? We love you. We thank you. In Christ's name, amen.